Episode 2. In this episode, we speak with Sensei Ramon Veras, a 7th degree black belt in Goju Karate. We talk about his instructor, Sensei Chuck Merriman, training in Okinawa and Japan, and we also talk about Olympic-style karate. I, I don't teach my kids so much for competition to be champion because they, eventually they're going to go to work or they're going to go to school. I try to teach them something that they can help them later in life to do better in school, be a good doctor, be a good lawyer, be, be a good something good for society, not necessarily a karate champion. Welcome to the Martial Arts Junkies Podcast. All martial arts, all the time. This is where we talk with martial arts instructors, students, and competitors about teaching, training, competing, history, philosophy, and anything to do with martial arts. Now your hosts, Jerry Lorita and James Marler. On our podcast today, we got Sensei Ramon Veras. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You know, so everybody can kind of just get to know you. Can you tell us a little bit about like where you were born, how you got started in martial arts, what age, that kind of thing? Yes, uh, I was born in the Dominican Republic and I immigrated in the 70s. And then I started training right after I arrived in 1971 when I sent Chuck in New York. So how old were you when you came to the United States? Uh, I mean, it was 11, 1958. It was 12, 12 when I came in. 12 years old. So you started training with Sensei Chuck Merriman. Now, he was a very, uh, he was like kind of like a pioneer of karate in America, right? Yeah, I really so. He was very, very uh, popular in the 70s. And if you open any Blackboard magazine, you probably see pictures of Sensei Merriman from the 70s to the 80s. And... Now, how, where did where did he learn karate from? How did he get started? Uh, he started training first under Peter Irvin in New York. He was Peter Irvin was think the first person that or one of the first that brought Gojo View here from Japan. Uh, at that time, it was the line and the Gogen Yamaguchi. And so he trained under on, Gogen Yamaguchi. He, he yeah, Peter Irvin was under Gogen Yamaguchi. Okay. And he brought in um, the Goju View in the, in the early in the 50s so to the U.S. And Chuck Merrill was under him for a while. And then he eventually went and trained with Yamaguchi. And uh, later on, he went back to Okinawa and also trained Okinawa under Enichi Miyasato as well. Okay, so he got to train under Gogen Yamaguchi himself then, is that correct? I, I believe so, yeah. Okay, cool. So then he was like, he started his school in New York too. Is that where you learned also from Chuck, Sensei Chuck Merriman? Yeah, I started training in New City, New York, under Sensei Chuck Merriman. Um, and then there was a breakup, and the, the dojo that he was teaching was owned by a judo school. It was like a karate school next to. There were two martial arts in the same building, but the school was owned by the judo instructor. Okay, and cool. at so, one point, I think it was 1975, 76, they had a falling out because Sensei Merriman appeared in Blackburn Magazine and 
the judo instructor didn't like that because he didn't make the, he didn't mention his school and he <laughs> we got kicked out of the school. <laughs> okay, so, so he moved, so he his school was main school was based in New London, Connecticut. So we we decided to stick with it and we used to drive to Connecticut every Monday night for brown and black belt classes for a couple of years. Yeah, I thought he was in Connecticut because I used to live in Connecticut. So I thought I heard Sensei Chuck Merriman was in Connecticut. Um, yeah, yeah, he it was based in New London, Connecticut. Yeah. Nice. So, what was that training like? Uh, you know, when you were training with Sensei Chuck Merriman, what was that like? Well, for me, that was the first thing I learned karate, so I thought that, that was it. So that was like really. For me, it was something new, and I didn't know anything, any other style. So for me, that was that was karate. That was the the karate that I learned. I thought that was the only karate because back then there was not that many schools in the area. Uh, but now, it was very, very serious, very vigorous. It was not no nothing okay. Like nowadays, it's more like the schools are more interested in making the kids feel good in the school, which is good. <laughs> back then, is you had to. You had to stick it out there, you know. You had to, you had to pretty much survive in that school to stay there. Only the strong survive, yeah. That's now, uh, how, what got you interested in martial arts? I guess. Uh, I got me interested when I watched the Bruce Lee movie when they first came out, Fist of Fury, Into the Dragon, and uh, that got me motivated to search for school. So the first school that I landed was. Chuck Merriman's uh, Karate International in New City. Now, did you want? Now you were watching Bruce Lee, and I guess uh, we. I think we we talked before. You said you also watched Kung Fu Theater, correct? Yeah, yeah. Back in those days, after those movies came out, there were a lot of Kung Fu movies that came out from Hong Kong, and like every Saturday was a new movie out. And I used to enjoy watching all those movies. Now, did you not want to do uh, Kung Fu? You wanted to do Karate. Uh, I probably would have, but I never found a kung fu school in the area. I was just looking for a martial art, but I I landed in a gorgeous school without knowing that there were other options. Oh, I see what you're saying. And so, what was that first experience uh, like over there at Sensei Chuck Merriman School? Um, back then, I had a couple of friends that were already doing it. So before I went, I talked to my friends and we will get together and practice. The, before I joined, they made sure that I knew all the basics before I went in there. So yeah. when I joined the school, I already knew all my blocks, the punches, the stances. And and they, so I went in there and they looked like, oh, this kid is picking it up quickly. But you know, I had already a couple of weeks of training with some of my friends. Now, were you training directly under Sensei Chuck Merriman, or was yeah, yeah, was he it... was he was there every every night. He was teaching the classes, and plus he had a lot of senior black belts that will do the warm ups and teach beginners. But the main class was he was the the one teaching it. Okay, and what was that training like? What kinds of stuff were you doing? Um, <clears throat> We would do a warm-up that lasted about half an hour. Every day was very vigorous, like a conditioning workout. We would start with 100, three sets of 50 push-ups, 150 push-ups every night. You, leave, you, know, you look down on the floor, there was a puddle of, of, of sweat from everybody on the, the wooden floor. And back there was wood floor, it was no, no mat. So uh, the floors, if you fall, you fall, you're going you're gonna to get, get hurt. 
okay, but so it was very, very serious conditioning, a lot of basics. Then we do cut down, then we fight. Every night was the same pattern. You do a physical training, do your basic, do some kata based on your level. And the last half hour, we, you, you fight. You line up all the black belt on one side, and everybody gets up and takes turns with the black belts. And that's a you What was um, what was Sensei Chuck's personality like? Like, what was he as, yeah. as you know, as an instructor? As an instructor, he was very methodical, very very structured, very scientific. Uh, <clears throat> everything that he that he teach makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he was a very very well all around knowledgeable and karate and judo. He was also a a very uh, good judoka player as well. Did you know from, you know, right away when you started training with him, did you know that he was a, you know, such an influential uh, figurehead within the community of martial arts? Were you, was that, did that cross your mind at all? Were you aware of that? I had no idea, man. I had no you idea where he was. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize where I was going. I, just, I think I got lucky. I, I hit the, this dojo and it was like a, uh, he turned out to be a, you know, a historical figure in the martial yeah. art. Do you have but any? I, like... know. I, I was not looking for that. I just happened to found that by by accident. You know. Do you have any personal stories? Like, you know, uh, do you have any yeah. like fond memories of uh, you and your first uh, instructor? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of great memories. Um, just one, were, just one. <laughs> one memory was that every June we were he would host a training camp in Maine, in the state of Maine. It was really uh-huh. cold over there. So in June what, it was still cold. What was that? What and, is that? What did you do during the training camp? That camp that camp was like a week camp for uh, eight hours a day. You wake up, wow. they wake you up around six a.m. and you go for a run for about a thirty minute run, and you come back eat breakfast, and you rest. And then you, Train from nine to twelve, three hours straight. Then you then you go for lunch. You come back and train in the afternoon for three more hours. That was the, the five days a week. So did you do that every summer? Every summer, I did. When I, I did at least three or four years. Three or four years. Huh? And then at the so end of the camp, sleep and train have, karate, huh? Huh? Eat, sleep, and train karate. Yes, one week, but it was it was really really enjoyable to me. I really enjoyed that. Um. And then he will bring a lot of figures there, a lot of interesting people that were his friends, some of his students that were really famous people. <clears throat> One of them was the, I don't know if you, have you ever watched the series, the Kung Fu series with Eric Carradine? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The creator of that series came a few times in lecture there because he was Sensei Merriman's student. He was a green belt at that time. And he, he would come and lecture about swordsmanship. He was really into swords, so they got to meet him were yeah. martial art movies like a big influence at that time during the era where you're training uh karate uh, was it like they to me when i watched those movies with joe Norris yeah. and bruce lee they kind of they kind of influenced you know they motivate you to to you know to do that <laughs> that was like during the big explosion of popularity yeah. in martial arts too huh yeah i think yeah in the 70s was, was very yeah big. So now, was there like a like a, a favorite part of training that you did? Well, first of all, did you like that hard training, that style? Um, I, you know, I didn't. I liked the, the physical training. So I was always very active in the Dominican Republic. I played baseball or every day. You get out of school and you 
You go outside and play baseball. So I, I grew up doing physical things. So. Was there any was there was there any sort of martial arts presence in the Dominican Republic when when you were a kid there? Uh, not that I know of. Not in my okay. not where I live. But there, what about, there was there was martial arts. Yeah. But what about today? Is there today? There's a lot of martial arts in the Pan American oh, okay. WKF. They they have one of the best, strongest country in uh, in that area in Pan American. And I still go back. I have students there, so I visit every every year before the pandemic and teach courses there for students yeah. that, that connect with me there. Now, what's like? What is it about karate that you like so much? Because I, I mean, when you know, we've talked a couple of times, and you're very passionate about it. What What is it about karate that you like so much? I like the martial art. Karate because that's what I, my chosen art. But because you, there's always something to learn. There's always something to improve in there. And also the people that you meet along the way. Because I have a very good friends and uh, with my very good relationship with my teachers in Japan, uh, and a lot of friends that do karate in different states or different countries. We always have a friendship and relationship that you build through the years. That's something that, that I enjoy as well, besides training. But I like the training, all aspects of training, the physical training, the technical training, doing the karas, learning it, and teaching. And reading about the history about it, I think, for me, is, is just interesting. So now, is Gogen Yamaguchi, was he the founder of, of Goju Karate, or was there somebody before him? No, the founder of Goju Ryu was... Shoji Miyagi, he was the one, it's a, he's the one that taught Yamaguchi. Shoji uh, Miyagi used to visit Japan and before the World War II, and he did some classes in Japan and universities. And Yamaguchi was one of those students that learned from him. Um, back to Okinawa, and I don't think they saw each other again. So Yamaguchi style kind of developing a different different path. So his, his Yamaguchi Goju is a little different than the Okinawan Goju Ryu because he <clears throat> developed and modified differently. But Since they Ramon, day, I oh go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I could be mistaken, but I think you shared a story with me once. You know, and correct me if I'm wrong. Did you train with uh, Miyagi's uh, son or grandson or something like that? I think. There was a, you had told me one time that you had an opportunity to train with, with, with someone. I'm not sure who it was. I thought you had mentioned it was the son of Miyagi. No, no. Miyagi, Miyagi had like four sons. I met one of them in one of the seminars in the JK Goju Kai, but okay. he was not, he was not a karate player, that son that, he, that I met. The mm. other son that, that left to Japan, they never returned to Okinawa, so I, I never met them. Oh, okay. And I know, I know there was one of them teaching in Japan and build up a dojo there. And I know you're still active, but I never, I never met him. So, what karate master? Um, what I mean, who's your mentor now? Who, who's the guy that you go to now? You're training under uh, the main guy that I go to for me is uh, uh, Master Takamura Master. He's my, my direct instructor in, in under. Miyasato, since who was a director in Georgia, Miyagi. Okay, how long have you been with him? Uh, since 2000, early 2000. Oh, so you have a long-standing relationship with him. Yeah. Before yeah. that, I was, I was with Miyasato, who was one of the 
How old were you when you first uh, w- went overseas to Japan to, to train? Uh, I want to say I was around 30. 30? Yeah. And what, what was the what led you like what was i mean to be i mean i can't speak for you but i think all of us when we start martial arts when we're younger we all have you know the pipe dream fantasy of like you know one day i'll travel the world and train martial (laughs) arts right so i mean at what point you know what was that what was that thought process like for you like what was the motivation like where was your mindset at at that time well i i trained with a lot a few japanese instructors that were here from from okinawa and uh one of them was famous mori higawana um okay. and then it was uh, there was some, something went wrong with his organization so i kind of dropped out and i decided to go directly to okinawa so i just got the master letter and invited him to visit and I visited, but yeah, everybody that does karate shoe visit Okinawa, you can see the difference. Now, when you first, so the first time that you went overseas to, to train from, to train in Okinawa, like from the motherland, um, how did that impact, you know, your, your own personal training? I mean, how did that change how you viewed karate? You know, how did that, you know, how did that shape you moving forward? Well, when I, when I first went to Okinawa, I, I was doing a dojo full time. I was trying to make a living at just karate. Mm-hmm. And then after I went over there, the, the master spoke to me and said, you shouldn't depend on karate because karate is up and down. And you want to teach karate as pure as you can. But when you do that, you might not make a lot of money. So if you teach more water down, you might get more students. So I kind of changed and I went, came back and got me another job and I worked. Um, I always work in the technical field. So I worked in the field engineering for medical. And then after that, I worked in telecommunications. So I decided to go back to work and do my dojo part-time. And I kind of, I'm glad that I did that because I was able to work, earn a pension, and now I can enjoy karate the way I want to do it. So the whole time you worked throughout your career and, and you, you managed to maintain and teach karate over all those years, too, as well? Yeah, so I, I think karate more as a part-time hobby. But um, I went to have a dojo that was a series that I can produce students that someday can continue on. But I was not doing it for the money. I was just trying to keep the dojo open. And mm-hmm. then I rely on my job for, for my personal expenses. Now, Sensei Ramon, uh, so the the masters that you trained with in uh, Okinawa, like, what kind of what, did you try to like? What was it about them that attracted you to them? To how often have you gone back to Okinawa to to train with them? Uh, I started going there in nineteen ninety six. Okay. And one of the things that really attracted me to going back to Okinawa is that you see, if you go see a dojo in the U.S. as mostly a lot of kids training. You don't see that many adults, correct? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but Okinawa, you go and most of the tra- the people training are adults. The and the use and then because they start karate there and that dojo that I went to, they wouldn't take anybody younger than thirteen years old. So people when they start older, I guess they stick with it longer, you know. 
And you go to that dojo and you see people in their 30s, 20s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and, and older. And they're still training. They're still enjoying it. And they go training after they get together in some kind of restaurant. They eat, they drink, and they socialize. That's one thing that I don't see in, in the dojos in America. So what's the biggest difference? Like for, you know, for you personally, uh, training in, in the States as opposed to the type of training you get over, uh, you know, overseas. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's the attitude, you know, in, in Japan, mm -hmm. when you join a dojo, the people understand the culture is to do it for life. You know, you go join a dojo, you, 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 you're there with the attitude that you're going to do that training for the rest of your life. Yeah. And the U.S. is, to get a belt, and once they get the black belt, they quit. They think they have arrived. Uh, in Japan, is when you get your black belt, it's like the beginning of, of, of because you start with first dance, so that's really like the beginning of the of your path or the journey, mm -hmm. I would say. Now, now, as far as the training in Okinawa, I mean, is the training like you? I mean, you trained under Sensei Chuck Merriman, which is, you know. I think he maintained a very traditional type of atmosphere. So what's, what were some of the differences that maybe you had to adjust to when you went to Okinawa? Uh, when I went to Okinawa, I had already transitioned from the, the sense environment. Karate was more Japanese based. The Japanese karate with its Goju Ryu or Shotokan, they, they, they focus on basic kata and fight, a lot of fighting, pre-fighting. Uh, and by the way, the person that invented that free fighting was Gogen Yamaguchi. He was the first one that, that introduced free fighting. Oh, Is that like what we see in the WKF today? Yeah, well, just, okay. maybe any kind of sparring that you see anywhere, Yamaguchi was the first one that started that kind of... of Introducing uh, it into the art. He was the one who introduced free fighting. Mm. And then from that, everybody developed their own, but he was the first one. He was the pioneer so, of free fighting. So prior to that, what did, what, I mean, what did, it, what did it consist of? Because I've always known, you know, karate, you know, they're sparring mm -hmm. in it. So, you know, Before that, the whole idea. Of, especially in Okinawa, they still don't do a lot of fighting. They do a lot of, a lot of basic training, a lot of conditioning with Makiwara, mm -hmm. hitting the Makiwara, uh, doing a lot of Hojondo training to condition the body. They do a lot of kata and kata application. Okay. Out of which one do you enjoy the most out of those? Uh, now that I'm older, I like the Okinawa one better. You don't have to be doing so much fighting. Mm -hmm. But if you are so, a young kid, you might like the fighting better. So you you, you want to have a you want to have both. I think this idea. So Sensei Ramon, you're, so you're saying J J uh, Japanese karate versus Okinawan? I guess I, I understand. I always knew that karate came from Okinawa, but I guess I didn't understand the influence that Japan had on the art. So, so you're saying as far as in, in Japan, the focus of Goju-Ru is more, well, not the focus, um, but they introduced the fighting where in Okinawa, they were not doing the fighting. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's one, that's one aspect that's different. So what else is different about the training in Japan versus uh, in, training in Okinawa? In Japan, they focus more about repeating the techniques, more like uh, how to improve the technique to make it sharp, to make it look more uh, like honing the skill over and mm -hmm. over. 
Okay, now I focus more on why. Why are you doing this? Why you do this block? Why you do this kick? I focus more on how to use it. So you're kind of saying, uh, you know, in Okinawa, they're doing more of like the bunkai, whereas in Japan, they're doing more of the sparring and developing the skills through repetition. Right, is that what you're right, saying? Right, yeah. they, they focus more on the how to do the technique, how to do a kick that's fast, that's strong. In Okinawa, they teach you more. Why are you doing this technique this mm. way? Why are you doing it that way? <clears throat> so I think it's a good balance. If you can experience both, then you will have a better, a better balance. So That's interesting. You, you had mentioned something. We had a conversation one time and, and you were talking about um, uh, in Okinawa, it's it's kind of an open door policy. People come and go, uh, all, you know, throughout the day, all day training. And there's instructors that are there. Um, is that the same for training in Japan as well? No, in Japan, it's mostly group training. Uh, okay. Um, Okinawa, the dojo that I went to, I don't know if every other dojo is like that, but the dojo... I visited in the, in the uh, Miyazato's dojo. He kept that tradition from Choji Miyagi. It was it's more like a one-on-one personalized training. So the dojo is open all day long. Some people work day, some people work night, so you can train anytime. And you kind of run your dojo like that too, because I've been with you for a few years now. And and anytime I, I ask you, I say, uh, you know, can, can I come train? You're, yeah, come train. So you, I, you know, I, I don't know if you do it exactly how it does, but you know, at least from my experience training with you, you've always had, you know, an open door. If I wanted to come train, you know, the door would be open to train there. Yeah. I, I try to keep that because it gives people more options. You know, uh, there's people that need guidance for teaching. So that's why you have group training. If people don't have the discipline to do it on their own, they have to be, they have to be given a structure. Okay, now it's the warm-up. Now it's the basic. Now it's the content. You know, when you are... <clears throat> discipline to do it on your own, you can just come and practice on something, you know, work on one kata or yeah. kicking, or, so you can do different things on your own. So, so oh, in your experience, in your experience, in your mind, what do you, what's, what do you find more challenging or, I mean, or rewarding? What's, what is a, I guess, what's more challenging to teach a student um, or to train an instructor? What, what, what is, you know, yeah. what's more challenging for, you know? Uh, I think it's teaching students is more challenging. It's more challenging. I think, uh, they already know the basis. You said to kind of guide them on how to teach it. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. And, but I think we've all had experience with, you know, a really good instructor and we've all had experience with poor instructors. So how, how do you take somebody, uh, uh, you know, from just a student and, uh, and turn them into a, a high quality instructor? Well, first they have to know the, the skills. You have to know the basic. You have to know how to, you have to, I think, know everything well before you can teach it. If you just want to teach and yeah. you don't know how to do it, it's be very hard for you to demonstrate it. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I make sure that the people that I, that I teach, they already know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, like to teach and they don't like to practice but i don't think that's a good combination you have to yeah. first love to practice then you can transition to teaching because then you can teach by examples if you just yeah yeah teaching i see a lot of people that are instructors that are overweight where they got hanging out and you see and you <laughs> they are instructors I would... 
So, you know, we had talked at one time, what kind of, what kind of supplemental training do, do you do or what, you know, what kind of supplemental training for karate is essential in your opinion? Um, I think any kind of physical training that you can do what we consider a uh, supplemental. Like in, in, in Gorgeous, we have a set skill that we, that we follow, set of training regimen called Hoyo Hondo. Uh, mm -hmm. that was designed by Chojo Miyagi, and there's a lot of tools that are very specific for different movements. And they they train your whole body. They uh, you, you do it in, most of the time on stances, like Chico Lats and Kwasiachi, you work the shoulder, but you at the same time, you strengthen your wrist, strengthening the elbow, strengthening the shoulder, you're using your core, <clears throat> and you're using the stances that you would normally use in the cutter. So it's a very holistic type of training. Now, did you, when you, when you went with uh, Sensei Chuck Merriman, right, um, uh, did he do that type of training or was it, was it until later when you got introduced to some of the Japanese masters where you started doing that, that type that, of supplemental training? That type of supplemental training is mostly in Okinawa. Okay. The Japanese don't do that. Like if you look at Shotokan, they don't have that or... <clears throat> Kyoko Shinkai, maybe, because Kyoko Shinkai has Goju Ryu, but it is from Yamaguchi Goju Ryu. But yeah, the just... Japanese don't have the Hoyo Hondo. Lately, they have begun to learn that from, from the Jundo Kan, because my sensei, learning Okinawa, but he's also the head, was the chairman of the JKF Goju Kai. So he introduced that kind of training in, the, in, in JKF Goju Kai as well. So now, Hoyo Hondo, I mean, so you're doing stance training, but like, what kind of tools are you, are, are you using weights? How does that work? So I, I know what it is, but I want to kind of get an idea so that people understand what it is too. Uh, some of them tools that look like a kettlebell, it's called a ichish, uh, ishisashi, where you can put it on your hands or put it on your feet to, to practice kicking with it. So it fits on your foot and you can, with a little bit of weight and they come in different, uh, different weights. And you can do your kicks, your front kick, side kick, and that will strengthen your, your hip flexor for the kick. Or you can use it in your hand to strengthen your shoulder, your deltoids, and your lats, so you can <clears throat> condition your punching techniques. That's one tool. There's another one that has a stick with a weight on the end, and then you have to control that, that tool when you move it. That's called a chishi. Uh, and, and then makiwara is also another tool that is used by all karate in Okinawa. Were there any, uh, which, uh, which masters had the most influence on, on how you, how you train and teach karate today? Uh, I would say I have a little bit of all of them, you know, since mm -hmm. gave me a lot of <clears throat> good structure for training, uh, for competition, because he was really into com competitive karate in the U.S. in the early days. He was also the national coach for the AAU before the, before we had an NGB. Uh, when karate got in the, Olymp in the Olympic, uh, Pan-American level Olympics, Chuck Murray was the head coach. So he, he understood really coaching science. So I have that from him. Um, it's like I, I grab a little bit from him. I, I, I try to keep the best from all of them. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes up my, my, the way I teach these days. So now, I also, so I go ahead. Sorry about that. Yeah, I also study 
strength and condition from Tudor Bompa, who was really one of the pioneers in periodization of strength training for sport in, in the West. And, uh, he was from Romania, so I, I got to learn from him directly uh, through his book and through face-to-face -face seminars with him. And that gave me a good understanding of strength training for karate. What was and his name again? Tudor Bompa. And you've incorporated all those you things that you've learned. I, I incorporated all that in my training. And when yeah. I teach kids to compete, they all get my, that kind of training. Okay. Um, so I want to kind of like backtrack a little bit. So with, so you're doing the strength training that you got from uh, Tudor Bumpa, but then you're also doing the, Hojo Ondo too, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and and so what are some of the other things that, that you use when you're doing Hojo Ondo? Uh, so what kind of other things? I, I, There's so many of them that I try to do like one day I do one or then I do another one. And then I take, I take sometimes I focus on weight training on Hojo Ondo and then I take the rest and then I do Hojo I, I alternate them. That way you don't get tired of doing just one of them. Now, are you doing that with your students also, or is it just a personal training that you do? Yeah, I teach it to my students. I give them after class, I give them something to do physical. After they do technical training, then we do the physical. But if they want to, some people don't just want to do their class and go home. Some of them stay and they do more. Okay, now, now how old are you again? I am 63 right now. So 63, now are you training every day or how often are you training right now? Yeah, I, I, I train every day. My body wants me to train every day. So I train, yeah, yeah, I, I, do I can tell you, this guy is in great shape. Like he'll make some 20-year-olds look bad. Like, you know, in the mornings, like, you know, when, when I'm training with Sensei Ramon, you, you know, it's like he, he, just, he just stomps me, you know? And I'm like, oh, I got to try harder and – you know, but yeah, he'll train. I, I, he'll I, he'll train along with you as you're doing the exercises, and it helps you know motivating and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm telling I, you, I this do, guy. I do that to keep myself in shape, and also to uh, you know, so people can follow along. You know, so if you just sit there and count, then people. Are, I think it's better to lead by example. You know? Yeah. How many now, days now, a week do you train? Yeah. Every day. Every day. Something. How. You do something. So do, do you have a set? Like, do you wake up and say, hey, I need to train for two hours? Or do you just go to the dojo and you just start doing stuff? And when you're done, you're done. No, sometimes longer. I, like, I don't do long trains anymore on my own. I do, like, maybe half hour here, one hour. Or, or I just stretch. I do something different every day. Now, I mean, I, I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that I can't train like I once did. So... Mm -hmm. What kinds of adjustments are you making to your training so that you can continue to be active, you know, for the rest of your life in it? <clears throat> One thing that I added lately is um, when you do a movement, whether it's a bench press or a squat or a punch, you have three elements. You have a concentric phase and you have an isometric phase. Can you explain the differences between those two? Isometric is like holding a, a, a static stance, like a shikoda. You know what a shikoda is? Yes, yes. You hold it, like, you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, a minute. You know, that's isometric. You just hold, you hold that stance, you don't move. 
Or you can do it dynamically up and down, right? Any dynamic movement will have those three. So when you throw a bunch, it comes out fast, but for one instant, you have to contract. That's isometric. Uh, okay. I, I, I started to doing that in phases more. I focus more on isometric. And then later on, I do more the, the dynamic to make it more powerful. That, that seems to resonate a little better. I think if you take those three phases and break it down into different elements and then put them together afterwards, it's really, really effective. So do you think it's better for static stretching or do you think more ballistic type of stretching is more beneficial. Uh, I think you need both. You know, I don't, I don't do ballistic. I do more when you warm up. You want to do more mobility, more like a movement and stretching. The more dynamic mm -hmm. your movement, I think that's better. <clears throat> but then once you warm it up, then you can do you can do isometric. Uh, so you don't have to hold it long, like five to ten seconds. Like you stick out a front kick and you hold it there for five to ten seconds. It's not, it's not easy. Yeah, that's hard. Okay. That's hard. Once it becomes easier, then you can add, you know, two pounds here, three pounds, and stick it up there, and then you build it up again. But 10 seconds is, is, is plenty. And do two or three sets. Now, Sensei Ramon, you know, I, I can tell that you come from a very traditional background in karate, but I also notice when I I look at, you know, Facebook with your students and stuff, you've also adapted a very modern approach to your training too as far as the sport aspect can you kind of like talk about that like what are the differences yeah i do the sports uh karate like wkf for the kids i think that's very uh it's very enjoyable for them because first of all there's a lot of ways to practice a punch or a kick a lot of footwork that you can incorporate and for the kids, that's very interesting because they you, you keep them engaged in something new, or teach the same thing different ways, and they kind of like that. To work out, but in between there, I sneak in the traditional kata training. Or if you just teach traditional kata to kids, they're gonna get bored. <laughs> but so WK, you're using WKF. Is, I enjoy it because it's very dynamic, uh, very aerobic. Uh, and the, the young people like that, but it's still they're still learning karate and they're doing it, so that also gives you an opportunity to now introduce yeah. uh, the traditional aspect of it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, the, tra the traditional aspect is kata, you know, kata is traditional, no matter how you do it. So, the tradition is maintained through the kata. The sports committee that we for the kids is more like the fun type of activity for them to do. Yeah, I, I can see that that that's a good that that approach that you're taking with the your your kids, you're mm -hmm. you're making it fun and enjoyable, and then at the same time you're able to introduce you know, not introduce because they're already doing it, but they're doing the the traditional all aspect also, mm -hmm. so that now they're developing a they're having fun, but they're also learning the traditional mm -hmm. aspect well, of it too. Kata is really. <clears throat> kata is very structured, you know, very, that's what it gives you, if you can practice kata on your own, if you do kata 10 times, 20 times, and the kids can do that, that's going to develop the self-discipline, because you, you have to, if you want to develop good kata, you have to practice, uh, and uh, consistent practice makes the kids more disciplined. 
Now, Our, I mean, what's been the hardest thing as far as teaching kids? Uh, because you said in Japan they and in Okinawa, kids don't really do it until like they're 13. So what's been the adjustment you've had to make to uh, here in America is the opposite, where most martial arts schools are kids. What kind of adjustments have you made besides introducing the WKF? Uh, that's pretty much it. And then I, I try to incorporate, uh, if you look at Bompa's book, book, training that's very fun for the kids, a lot of agility training and uh, that's, that's physical development, but you can put some of that in your warm up to make it more interesting. You know, and, and that's what I, that's one of the things I like about, uh, you know, watching your classes is that, um, you know, instead of warming the kids up with a silly game or something like that, you know, um, all of your warm ups and everything you do in the class is designed with a purpose to make them more skillful, as opposed to I'm going to do this so they can be silly and have fun and stay longer and like me. And so, you, you know, you really, you really have a great balance of making the classes fun without being funny. Does that make sense? What I, what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 I noticed that when I think this, this doing all these games with little kids, it's more like a, it becomes more like a playground. So I don't, yeah. I don't like that. I like to have a structured class that is enjoyable with, with movement that are going to be, that are going to help them develop. Yeah. And, and, warm and up, I think instead you... of doing jumping jacks or running, uh, I mean, karate, we don't run, it's, it's movement. You know, you do, you do the footwork. So you can yeah. warm them up with footwork and forward, back, side to side, sometimes circular, but <clears throat> footwork that's gonna help you fight better or defend or attack, that kind of that kind of footwork, I think is more productive. Because and you, I... you had a kid for one hour, so if you spend 15 minutes doing all these uh, drills that don't help your skills, then I think it's a waste of time. Yeah. And then I think that, you know, your, you know, your students speak for themselves. I think that you across the board have produced a higher quality student. You know, I mean, from my observations and from my experiences, you know, within most academies, and, and I was talking with uh, Jerry about this one day, I said, you know, uh, one thing that's always impressed me about your student base is that at most schools, um, the majority of the students are going to fall within to that average athletic skill set. They're all going to, most of them fall into there. And then there's a, you know, a, if there was a, you know, 50% of them are going to be average. And then, you know, uh, you know, maybe 30% of them are going to fall kind of below that, maybe slightly above. And there's going to be like maybe 10% of your student bases, you know, above average performers. But, you know, across the board, you know, I, you know, every student I see of yours, you know, because of the, the way you train and, and approach things, they're all really high performers, you know, like, I don't think I've seen you have yellow belts in your class. I think you were showing me the other day that these kids are just so good and they get good so fast. And by the time they make it to, to black belt level, they've already have, you know, a better skill set than, you know, uh, some people that spend, you know, their whole lives doing it. Yeah. I, I try to use movements that are going to help the, the techniques in the, in the warmups, you know, like if yeah. you do, uh, like all these dances are really there to prepare you for thinking or moving. So if you know how to understand your stances, like the front dance, right? Yeah. When you do front, that's the same movement as a front kick. Or doing squat and then front stance and lifting the leg, that's like a, your front kick. So if you teach those kind of movement in a warm up, 
It's going to add up to the development of the front kick. If you do Shikodachi side movement, that's going to help you with your side kick. You know? yeah. And if you do rotational movement, that's going to help you with your with your leg and squat. That's going to help you with your round kicks. How, how do you stay so motivated? How do you stay so motivated yeah. and passionate about, about Gojiru? You know, you've dedicated a lifetime. So I'm, I'm, I would imagine you've had ups and downs throughout your training. So how do you, how do you just stay so motivated? Uh, I, I don't know. I guess I just crazy. <laughs> I like <laughs> just crazy. Uh, I like that's a good answer. That is crazy. Some people just find something that they enjoy. And, you know, other people, karate is for everybody, but everybody's not for karate, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you you had to you had to really I think like something to be good at it. We can be good at everything, but you had to find something that you like and then you stick with it. Uh, that's been my my it's been my my passion. I definitely, you know, I, you know, I see a lot of schools, like schools with the advent of you know MMA and the UFC. A lot of schools they. Um, they feel like they need to they need to adapt to what your your philosophy is more good at and do that. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, you gotta have a base. I mean, I have a student that never liked competition. I think you you probably met Nathan James, no? Yeah, I, yes, sir. He's like the best student that I ever had here, and also in Texas, he's one of the best. When he goes to compete, it's like you know, he he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't win all the time because he doesn't. But he, this guy is the real thing. You know, he goes out there to take you down with a sweep or something. He's really into martial arts as, as a martial art, not to not for sports or not for games. He he loves training seriously. And when he when he does it, it's like the people that just do sport they cannot keep up with him. <clears throat> but he doesn't like competing. You know, so that's that's his thing. You know? He he. He likes to train, he likes to challenge himself, he likes to bring himself to another level, but he doesn't really care for tournaments or UFC. Now, uh, Sensei Ramon, when it, I mean, when UFC, it comes I mean, has come a long way. I, I have seen, huh? The, well, most of the UFC good fighters, they... This is breaking. Yeah, there's a... Yeah. What I was going to ask, Jerry, you have a little bit of an internet issue. Yeah. How, you know, a big part of competing is the mindset. So, what are you working with them on that? Did you mind ever competing? Say that again. I, I could I couldn't hear you. It's, it's, the audio is breaking down over here. Yeah, there's a signal connection. Uh, so what I was saying is, when it comes to you know competition, how do you work with your mm-hmm. athletes as far as training them? All you know, not only to compete but also to deal with winning or losing, so they can continue to grow and develop. Mm. Um. I focus. I first of all, I try to select kids that are ready for for competition. That that has first, they have to have skill. They have to really like it, and 
Then I talk to the parents, uh, and the, the kids are to one. Like I have, I have this young lady in my that's really talented. And she she picks up the kata really easily. She picks up, she looks she looks awesome in less than two years. But she doesn't like competing. So I ask her, you like to compete? Would you think you would race? She said, no, I don't like competing. So they had to want to do competition first. And then the parents have to be able to support them. You know, if the parents are supportive and the kids want to do it, that's a good combination. Uh, and then they have to have the talent for the competition too. So if they don't have the, the physical and and the mindset for competition, they're not going to do well, you know. So I try to select them based on their will. And once they do that, then I can give them extra training for that. For, so for now, now if it, when... In competition, I mean, not all everybody wins all the time. So how are you handling that with them and stuff like that? So they stay motivated to continue to train and compete and grow. Uh, I try to tell them that it's more about improving. You know, if they if they try to set goals to improve, you know, um, make their kata better, perform better, not necessarily winning all the time, but of course they want to win. But in, in the early, when they're young, it's better for them to maybe focus on just improving and doing a good performance. Because uh, <clears throat> when you go to competition, whether you win or lose, you win something, you know? Yeah. Because performing in front of a crowd is very, very nerve-wracking for some people. But if you perform in front of people, you're going to lose the fear to perform in front of people. And that's, that's something that's, uh, that's invaluable when you go into the workforce. So, I, I don't teach my kids so much for competition to be champion because they, eventually they're going to go to work or they're going to go to school. I try to teach them something that they can help them later in life to do better in school, be a good doctor, be a good lawyer, be, be a good something good for society, not necessarily a karate champion. Okay, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so what, what's the question I'm looking for here? So when they, when they go in competing and stuff like that, and if, if they don't have a successful, and I think this is what you're saying is you, to translate over to their real life. So what happens when they go out there and they compete and they're, they're facing those nerves? How are you helping them to, to face those nerves and then go out there and perform at a level that they can be happy with? You know, um, that's, that's tough because when kids, if they just focus on winning, most sometimes they're gonna lose, and then they they lose their confidence when they lose. You know, when they win, they feel good, they feel happy. But you have to. I talk to them a lot about improving, improving. Always focus on improvement goals instead of just uh, winning goals. You know. Uh, so and, and they understand. Okay, I understand. The goal is to improve, not so much winning. So when you are selecting, you know, in in your words, when you're choosing who you think would be a good competitor. I'm assuming that's a, that's one of the criteria that you keep in the back of your mind is how well do I think this student will perform under pressure or, or you know, or will they be able to accept defeat? You know, is, is that one of the things that go through your mind? Yeah. Um, and I, I do a lot of in, like in class tournament with the kids and I do like we do kata and then we'll have a little kata tournament between the kids and see how they react. And I kind of, I kind of screen them like that. Okay. If they if they lose and they take a while. Oh, he will be a good competitor. Uh, Is some, that kind of uh, how some of them lose and then they ah, they put a face and they start crying. So you know you have to 
you had to little by little uh, get them ready for competition. You can't just throw them in a tournament right off the bat. I don't, I don't, is, I don't like doing that. Is this the same kind of concept and the same approach that your original uh, sensei uh, took? Um, you know, when you were training with him. Uh, I really don't remember back. I was so young that I just mm. I'd like to compete, and you know. Uh, Chuck had a lot of good competitors. He had really, really good outstanding champions that trained with him. They went through them. Uh, and if, you know, Billy Blank, the type of guy he used to yeah. train with Chuck Mayer for the, in the U.S. national team. Uh, there's been a lot of great people that are famous now that went through his training. But um, I think you had to have that mindset for competition. If if you don't understand that. Losing is part of winning. You're going to have a hard time in competition. So when you yeah. first started out training martial arts, it was, you know, with this desire of self-improvement. But as well, you were already – you were an athlete, so you wanted to compete. Um, and then, you know, if, if I'm mistaking your, your approach to karate, you know, changed slightly once you started, you know, training in Okinawa and stuff. And it was more about, you know, self-perfection and getting better at the technique as opposed to competing. Yeah, Okinawa doesn't put a lot of emphasis on competition. In fact, they don't. It's more about becoming a better human being. They like people that are polite, courteous. You know, they, that's that's the kind of thing that they more value than just winning tournaments. Yeah, but when you first started out, would you say you were more in a competitor mindset? Like that was your, you know, your uh, your mission. I wouldn't say that was when I I didn't discover competition until later on. When mm. the instructor told me, "Hey, I think you." competition and right away he took me to a, a Central American championship and I well, I was a brown boy. I said, Hey we wanna we wanna we have a competition. We have a spot on the team. You wanna go? I said, sure. So Do you remember what that I, you remember about that? The whole thing? Yeah, I mean I have pictures in the, it was in the Dominican Republic and he took me to a Central American with like seven other countries. Were you nervous? <laughs> luckily I play I won the trophy. I don't know how but I uh, I had to show you that my album yeah. from those days, but I I won, but I didn't I didn't know really what was happening. I didn't understand. It was, was just like all coming out at you so fast, huh? Yeah. So, Sensei Ramon, to to kind of wrap up, I wanted to talk to you about something. So, I know karate was just in the Olympics uh, in two thousand and twenty-one. Did you? How do you feel about that? As far as for the overall progression of karate and putting in the forefront of everybody's minds. Yeah, I think that, I mean, getting karate in the Olympia, I think is good for everybody that does karate because, it, you know, it, it's, um, it puts karate on the, on the main media, your main screen media, which you don't see, you don't see too many karate of tournaments on ABC, CBS, and when they go to the Olympia, you, it was there. But, um, I mean, it has its, its good points and bad points. Karate the Olympics has become more specialized. You know, you see all those doing all those kata, but you don't, people want to do all those kata right off the back to compete, but you got to start low so people don't have the patience to, to go through that. So they start jumping, skipping the, the proper development to go all the way to the top and they, they, they do shortcuts to, to get there. But I think getting karate in the Olympic, I think for, Everybody that's, you know, 
that it's not Olympic school, but they will get more publicity. So I think that will help karate be more mainstream, you know, by getting karate in the Olympics. Now, but, how did you feel about the level of the skills at the Olympics this past year? Well, I think the skills there, the kata performance was very high level. You know, those people train, you know, four, five hours a day. You know, I know one kid there from organization from Miami that made it there uh, and got a got a bronze medal. I mean, he's from our he's from our organization, used to be. Oh wow! And he got and that kid two years ago, I didn't. To be there, but he he focused on training and he trained every day and everything, and he, he made a US team and got a medal. Wasn't <laughs> there a know. guy? Wasn't there a guy? I don't know if it was in karate or taekwondo, but wasn't there a guy who got gold because he got knocked out? <clears throat> yeah, the, the Olympic karate is more based on it's not a knockout competition, it's, it's based yeah. on control and the guy that got hit was coming to the attack and he got caught with a kick in the face and, and the guy knocked, knocked him out. But Yeah, that was for first place too, right? That was, that was I remember. That was for the gold medal. Yeah, that yeah. was the, I remember him like, oh man, what a, what a, heavyweight. what an awful so, way to win gold, you know? <laughs> but that's based on those rules. I don't know. I think I would maybe change those rules that people should not win by knockout in the last match because it makes, it makes everybody look bad. Yeah. Yeah. But the guys that hit him, I, I, to me, it looked control. You know, I don't know yeah. how the, how it how it was in actuality. But when I guy hit him, he, ten minutes later he was stop walking around like nothing happened. Well, he just got a gold medal. I would be too. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> you get people get knocked down and they they don't and they just go yeah. down. Other yeah. times so, maybe they faked it. I don't know. So, Sensei Ramon, I think we've had a really good conversation. To, to wrap it up, you know, what kind of advice? I mean, you've been in this martial arts for a long time. Uh, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's just getting started in martial arts to really help keep, keep them on their journey? I think if somebody's looking for martial arts, I, I will go to a trial class, look for the school, the the you know, research what kind of martial art you want to learn because this this martial art style is not for everybody. If you want to learn kung fu, aikido, judo, there's many different forms of grappling, many forms of striking art like karate. Karate has a little bit of both, but you gotta find what you want, find a good instructor, and be patient because you're not gonna learn it overnight. It's something that is long term. To, that's that's the that's the hard thing for a lot of people because we live in that you know instant gratification mm -hmm. kind of a, a society right now, right? It's not a, it's not instant. You have to you have to spend the time practicing and, and learning and practicing. It's like ten percent of karate is learning, ninety percent is practice. Yeah. Ten percent learning, ninety percent Okay, well, cool. Sensei Ramon, I really appreciate you uh, getting on uh, the podcast with us. Um, if somebody wants to get in contact with you, if they want to maybe reach out, they're interested in learning Gojiru, how would they do that? Uh, well, first, thank you very much for having me on this interview. Uh, I mean, it's an honor for me to be here. But if they want to find me in Sugarland, they just have to search for Gojiru and Sugarland, and my website will pop up or research uh, traditional karate center in Sugarland. Or sugarlandkarate.net is my website. You can easily find me that way. All right, sugarlandkarate.net. 
Net. If you want to look up Sensei Ramon or if you're interested in learning Goju Rukrati. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. In our next episode, we speak with Grandmaster Benny Mang, an 8th to 1 black belt in Wing Chun. Thanks for joining the Martial Arts Junkies podcast today. Make sure you like, follow, subscribe. We're on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Martial Arts Junkies and at MartialArtsJunkies.com. Hit us up in the comments and let us know what you think.